So, it, so as we get back in our study of the life of Christ and the harmony of the Gospels, um, for the last couple of weeks we've been um, talking together about parables. Um, who can help me out? Who remembers what we said the definition of a parable is? Um, every, at the beginning of every class I've told you all that definition, hoping that somebody would remember it. What is a parable? Anybody remember? It's an earthly story with a heavenly. heavenly meaning or spiritual meaning. That's exactly right. And so Jesus uses things that you and I can relate to, um, animals and trees and birds and bees and coins and treasures and money uh, and nets and seeds and leaven and pearls and shepherds and sheep. He uses all kind of different uh, earthly things and he uses those as a way to help us to understand heavenly concepts or heavenly principles. Uh, what does the Bible say? What does Paul tell us in First Corinthians? That the natural man does not receive the things of God for their foolishness unto him and neither can he discern them. But Jesus uses the parables as a way to call out his people. If y'all remember last time we were together and the time before that we were together, we said that Jesus' parabolic teachings were almost like a, a sifting process or code language and that Jesus would come and share these parables with people. And to those who were being called into the kingdom, how would they react to the parabolic teaching? Does anybody remember? When Jesus would preach the parables... To those who were being called into the kingdom, what would their reaction be to the parable? They would understand it. Either they would understand it or it would perk their curiosity and they would want to understand it. You see? As opposed to those who were um, being turned over to the hardness of their own hearts. And when Jesus would share with them what would happen, their hearts would become more hard. They would, they would hear what Jesus was teaching and it would sound like, foolishness to them and so jesus uses the parables um, not only as a way to help us to understand heavenly concepts through through earthly uh descriptions and earthly uh characters but it's also a sifting process which in a sense the word of god is like that as well isn't it not just in parables but the word of god in general when you share the word of god with those that are being called into the kingdom what is their reaction they either have ears to hear they understand it, they appreciate it, they grasp it, or they have a heart and ears that can't hear, that can't feel, that can't understand, and they become hardened to the message. And that's how the gospel works. When the gospel is proclaimed, when you go out and preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified to the world around you, the natural reaction of the world around you is going to be to re rebel and to reject it. But to those who are being called, to those who are being saved, that message perks their interest. It opens their ears and helps them to draw closer to Jesus. And so we saw that last week, and we talked about uh, the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God is expanding. Remember, he, Jesus used the parable of tares. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. He used the parable of a mustard seed, and he used the parable of leaven. And we said a mustard seed was a very small seed, but when you planted it, it grew into a big tree, right? And that's exactly the way that the gospel works. It goes out, and oftentimes, 
Um, it is proclaimed in very small corners of the world, uh, uh, little uh, side rooms off on a big church, right? Like we're sitting in here today, um, in uh, in workplaces and 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 on um, sports fields and and uh, in our local uh, schools and our classrooms and things. And so, what's happening? The gospel is being proclaimed all around the world. It is going to all four corners of the world and doing what? Drawing God's people to Himself. But it happens in small ways. It's not always a big thing. When we think of the gospel and any evangelicalism, a lot of times we think of a, a Billy Graham crusade and we think of hundreds of thousands of people packing a stadium and twenty or 30,000 people coming down the aisle and receiving Christ as Savior, right? Those big, giant, impactful type deals. But the reality is, is that's usually not the way the kingdom grows. The kingdom grows small. It's small it's, uh, and it's and unnoticed by the world around it. And yet that kingdom is ever expanding. That kingdom is is, is ever growing. <clears throat> and so today, um, what I would like to do, if we can, we're going to finish up the couple of uh, parabolic teachings on the kingdom of God. And that's what these all of these parables have been relating us to, the kingdom of God. And again, Lori, what is our definition of a kingdom? Right? A domain. Uh, the king's domain. That's exactly right. So when we pray... Um, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. What we're praying. We're praying for God's kingdom to be established. And the reality is the kingdom is being established now. The kingdom is actually already established, is it not? Where is Jesus right now? At the right hand of God. Yeah, he's sitting at the right hand of his Father. And why is he sitting there? Because his Father says, sit here until I make your enemies your what? Footstool, and so by Jesus coming and dying on the cross, and and literally binding Satan's power to deceive the nations anymore, right? Now is the devil still roaming around today? Yes, of course he is, and he's still trying to do his thing. But the reality is, is that Jesus and the cross, and the message of the cross, and the power of the cross, and the power of the Holy Spirit is now got Satan where he can't control. The world around him, like he used to could. Remember, in Jesus's day, who were the only people that believed in Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God and Creator? It was basically the Jewish people. Now, there were a few Gentiles around that did believe, but for the most part, the kingdom message was only being proclaimed in Israel. Right? Well, after Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, what happened? The message through the empowering of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. All right. Uh, in the book of Acts, we see where the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, these Jewish uh, uh, people uh, that that are coming to Jerusalem to worship uh, at the temple that are from all different parts of the world. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and saves them, empowers them to go back out to all of the world and proclaim the kingdom of God to the whole world. And so there was a time when the devil had the nations deceived. Where the Gentiles, if you will, us, unless you're Jewish in here, you're a Gentile, uh, we were blinded to the truth of who God was and what He had done for us. But now that message is being proclaimed. And so the gospel is going out to all of the world and, and it is going to get to every ear and every heart that it is intended to get to. For every person that Jesus died on that cross to save, they will hear the gospel and they will be saved. That's a guarantee. That's a promise from the Father.
He is the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does not lose sheep. So what's happening right now? We, um, through the uh, being obedient to the command of Christ and going out and sharing the gospel with the world, the kingdom is being established. So the kingdom is established because Jesus is already on the throne, but the kingdom is also being established now, is it not? Through his subjects going and declaring it, the kingdom. And in the end, when he returns, what's going to happen? He's going to establish the eternal kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. Right, we're going to have that new heavens and that new earth, and He's going to establish that kingdom. And it not only one of the gospel hymns says it this way: "Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight." Oh yeah. The clouds will roll back like the scroll. Like the trumpet the will sound, and yeah, the Lord shall descend. It is well. It is well. With my soul, all right. That's bad for him. Kind of a wackadoo, but he, he kind of got off into a cult after he wrote that song. But it was still a beautiful song. That his our faith becomes sight. There's a lot of things that we want to know that are real, and we hope are real, and we have faith that they are real. But we can't physically see them with our eyes. Can but your heart starts to look forward to sure. that and wonder how one. Think about how wonderful it's going to be. Right. Why? Because the kingdom has been established in your heart, and one day it will be established in your eyes. So it, the kingdom is now, and the kingdom is not yet. It's like being engaged to be married. Sure. Yeah, very much you're so. You're looking forward to it. You know it's going yep. to happen, and it will be fulfilled. Very much so. And it's as real as Jesus sitting on the throne right now, and it's as real as that empty tomb over in Jerusalem. It's, it's as real as the promise of God. Because it is the promise of God. And so, in the same way I just was saying, we can't really see it with our eyes. Well, Jesus uses parabolic teachings as a way to help us to see it. He uses those as a way to help us to understand it. Okay? And so, for those who have ears, let them hear. Is the way they would put it. So, if you'll turn with me um, in your scriptures, we're going to look, we're going to finish up these gospel, uh, these parables on the kingdom of God. And we'll start in um, verse. Uh, 36, and we'll read through um, verse 52. So it says in uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 36, He then left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the field is the world. And as for the good seed, there are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy has sowed them in uh, is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just so as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. All right? So um, Paul helps us to understand that concept of this age and the age to come, right? This age is the now, the age to come is the not yet. And so what Jesus is doing, he's going back and he's explaining the parable of the tares among the wheat. Now you remember that parable, what did Jesus say? He said, if you want to look back at verse 24, just a quick reminder of that parable. It said, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a man who sowed good seeds in a field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore again, then the tares became evident also. Uh, 
the slave owner of the land came, and the slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in this field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, No, for while you gather up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reaper, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. All right, so now Jesus is explaining that parable. What do you say? Who is the one who sows the good seed? The Son of Man. Now, who do we know the Son of Man is? Jesus. Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the Son of Man. It's referring to the book of Daniel, uh, right? That the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Son of Man is a is a reference to the Messiah, to the to the coming one, to the anointed one, to the Christos, to the Messiah. And so Jesus often refers to himself as the Son of Man. He's 100% man, but he's also 100% God, right? I mean, you and I can't understand that because we only have 100% of a brain, and Jesus is 200% of a person, right? He's 100% God, 100% man. And so when he says this one goes and sows the good seed, what is the good seed? We've talked about this in the past. What is the good seed? What is the seeds that are being sown? Gospel? Good. The gospel, the word of God, the promises of God, the gospel message. So what's happening? All over this world right now today, the gospel is being proclaimed. Seeds are being sown. The body of Christ, the Son of Man. Who's the body of Christ? The church. The body of Christ, the Son of Man, is going and doing what? Sowing those seeds out in this world. And what happens to those seeds? They land, the good seed, the field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. Alright? So he's planting these good seeds. And who are these good seeds? The sons of the kingdom. And it said, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. Now remember, there is a battle going on right now in the world around you. That battle is going on inside of you, and it's going on It's a battle between two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. Now, do you remember all the way back in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when Jesus was putting a curse on the serpent and Adam and Eve? What did he say to uh, the serpent? He said, I will put enmity, I will put a hatred between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. And he will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. All right, so that was a prophecy. And what Jesus was telling the serpent was, one day that woman that you tricked is going to have a baby that's going to crush your head. One day you tricked her, you deceived her, but under this curse she is going to give birth to a child who is going to crush your head. And then it says that, he will bruise his heel. Is yeah. that the cross? And, with his, the cross and, the, the enemy's desire to destroy that promised seed, right? And so what is enmity is hatred and strife. And so what's been going on since the very beginning of time? It happened right after that because what happened to um, Abel and Cain? The evil one slew the, the good one, you see? And so what's been going on? All through time and all through history, the devil, the serpent, and the seed of the serpent, the wicked ones, have been attacking the seed of the woman, the promised ones. So think about Pharaoh 
And uh, what did he do with all of the little Hebrew boys? Had them killed. Had them killed. Had them, had them bad their heads bashed in or thrown into the river, right? Remember Moses had to be put in a basket and rescued? Why was Pharaoh so desperate to kill all the baby Hebrew boys? They were, they were a threat. Because they were a threat and he was the seed of the serpent. And the serpent's desire was to destroy the promised one. Remember Herod, when Jesus was born, what did he do? Right. That's exactly right. Remember, remember what Hitler did to the Jewish people. What did he do? Because what what the seed of the serpent is doing is trying to do whatever he can to wipe out the promise of God, to erase it, to blur it, to make it not happen, to wipe it out. And so look what he says there. He said, "The field is the world, and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one." So do you see the seed of the woman, the seed of promise, and the seed of the serpent? Those are the two seeds. And it says, "And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels." So what does he say is going to happen at the end of the age? There's going to be a harvest. The angel's going to come get me. Right? There's going to be a harvest. And it said, so <clears throat> the way that it worked back then, the, the wheat would grow up, and then the workers would go out in the field, and they would cut down all of the wheat and harvest it and bring it in. And what would they do? They would sift the wheat and get all of the good out of it and take all the, the tares and the cull and the, the hulls and, and the, the, the stalks and throw them out. And they would burn them. You see, they would burn it all up. And so what he's saying is at the end of this age, there's going to come a harvest that the angels of God are going to sweep through this world and harvest up what? What are they going to harvest up? His people. The good seed. The promised ones. The, the promised seed. You see? What's he going to do? What's the angels going to do? They're going to come through and they're going to gather up all of God's people into one group. And they're also going to gather up uh, all of the devil's seed and do what? Gather them up, bind them up, and burn them in fire. And that will be the end of this age. So when does this age end? This age ends on Judgment Day. Remember our song we were just singing a minute ago. Lord, haste the day when my fate shall be sight. The clouds will roll back like a skull. The trumpet will sound. The Lord will descend. It is well. It is well with my soul. What happens uh, the next event on the on the eschatological uh, timeline that Jesus is going to rip open the clouds and him and all of our brothers and sisters who are already in heaven, all of the promised ones that are already there, and him and his angels are coming down to reclaim his kingdom. And it's going to happen on a judgment day. And so what are the angels going to do? They're going to sweep through and they're going to gather up all of the promised ones into one group and they're going to gather up all of the, the cursed ones in their group and the cursed ones are going to be cast into eternal flames. They're going to be burned up. And so that's what Jesus is teaching us here in this parable. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of this age. And so for those of us who trust Christ, for those of us who are of the promise... Does that, does that, what makes you and I any more special than anybody else in the world? Nothing is but by the grace of God that we're, we're, we're of the promise. But, but what makes you special? What makes you a child of God? 
that his son poured his blood out on that cross to save you and forgive you of your sins. And that God the Creator claimed you as his own. He adopted you into his family and he made you his child. And that's a special thing. And it's not anything special in you. The goodness comes from God and who he is and what he's done for us, you see. And so it says, so, but for those who, who do not know him, for those who reject him, for those who turn away from him, from those who deny him, those who, de- what did it say? If you deny, deny me, uh, uh, I'll deny you. Right? And, and so when we reject him, if we reject him, then the only hope that we have is the hope of the eternal judgment that's coming. And that's not a hope at all. That's a terror. So, it says, the Son of Man will, verse 41, the Son of Man will send forth His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. Alright, so, uh, they will be thrown into a furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Right, and so that that um that uh, the the righteous will shine forth as the sun is from Daniel. We're actually going to go look at that in a minute because I think that's a really uh, special verse. But look what it says: the Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all of the stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. So what it's saying is, in his kingdom right now, in this kingdom, this world that we live in right now, there are stumbling blocks and those who commit acts of lawlessness. Now, what does it mean to be a stumbling block? Something that interferes with your relationship with God. Okay, good. All right. Um, I think uh, David uh, brings that up in um, in Psalm one when he said, "Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the the mockers, those that make fun of God." And so there are people out there that are causing. He, he warns. He said. Uh, woe to you who cause my little ones to stumble, right? A stumbling block is somewhere, something that hinders your path and your walk with God. And so there are people out there in this world, and what does he say? Among us, that cause us to stumble. And he says then, he says this, you workers of uh, those who commit lawlessness, right? They have a disregard for the law. Now guys... I was just talking to some people this weekend on Sunday about this, about the remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And I can't tell you how many of my friends say, well, we're not under the Jewish system of law anymore. We don't have to keep the Sabbath if we don't want to. Well, the reality is, is what we're keeping is the Lord's day. But the Lord's day is the eternal rest that comes to his children. And so remember when Jesus was talking to the rich young ruler, he said, uh, or he, he was talking to the, the, the Pharisee that came and the lawyer that come and tried to trick him. He said this. He said, what is the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? The greatest commandment is this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And to love your neighbors as you love yourself. So what is God's commandment for his people? To love him with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And to love those around us, to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Now, is there any one of us in this room that keep that commandment? No, we fail every day. Every one of us fails every day to love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. And we fail every day to love others as we love ourselves. But the law is not there. The law has not been put there to help us 
climb our way to heaven, the law has been put there to show us that none of us deserve it. The law points us to the only one who did it. And so when you hear people say, well, I'm not under the law anymore, what we need to remember is this. Jesus said that to love God and have no other gods before him, to not worship and bow down and worship any statues or idols or images, to not take God's name in vain and to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What did Jesus say about those four commandments? He said that is what it looks like to love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. See, Jesus was using the law and saying, this is God's written definition of what it looks like to love me. In case you were wondering. In case you were wondering. Right. And then what did he say about uh, honor your mother and your father? Do not steal. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't covet. What did he say? This is what it looks like to love your neighbor. You see? And so what does the law do for us? Well, the law was written on Adam's heart. Adam knew it. It was a part of him. It was who he was. Before he turned from God, that law was in his heart. And it was expressed in his thoughts and his words and his deeds and his actions. Why? Because we were created in the Omega Deo, in the image of God. And the law is the declared will and purpose of God for us. And it is what is right and what is good. And so when Adam and Eve fell, what did they lose? They lost that ability to discern the goodness of the law. They lost that ability to put their finger on the difference in right and wrong. So why did God give us the law? As a way to remind us what we lost in our hearts through the fall. Now, what is the natural man's attitude towards the law? Well, the natural man is concerned with who? Himself. himself, not with God and not with his neighbor. And so why does the law aggravate us? Why does the law get on my nerves? Because I'm breaking it. That's why it bothers me. See, why does the policeman bother me when he's on the side of the road and I'm speeding through a school zone? It's not because I'm concerned about the kid's safety in that neighborhood. It's because I don't want to pay a fine. I don't want to be hassled and stopped and I'm late for work. You see, the law shows me my attitude towards God and towards authority. And so when you hear people run around saying we're not under the law, well, you're right in one sense. The law will never be able to establish my righteousness. Is it because the law is not righteous? No, the law is perfect. The reason the law can never establish my righteousness is because I can't do it. I can't keep it. All the law is capable of doing is showing me that I'm unrighteous. But when a person is saved, when the gospel message regenerates the human heart, when this, the Word of God and the Spirit of God come together in the human heart and regenerate a person and open their mind and their heart into the new kingdom, into the eternal kingdom, when God adopts a child into His family and they become His child, guess what's going to happen to their attitude towards the law? They'll love it. They're not going to see it as a restriction they're going to see it as a path to freedom. See, the one law that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden was don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that law protected their freedom. As long as they did not trespass it, they were free to do anything else they wanted. But the devil came down and used that law as a way to tell Adam and Eve they were not free. 
And by transgressing that law, they lost the very freedom that they did have. You see? And so the Sabbath day is a good thing. The Lord's day is a good thing. Six days you were created to work, and on the seventh day you're supposed to rest. You're supposed to take one day off and rest. You see? We need to understand that um, not committing adultery and not lying and not coveting other people's stuff is actually a good thing. The problem is the world that we live in around us embraces the exact opposite of everything that God's law is. Why? Because of this. Remember the parable? What did he say? The seed of the promise and the seed of the serpent are all out there mixed in together. And what are the seed of the serpent doing? Trying to become a stumbling block to and a stumbling block and the lawless crowd, the antinomians, the ones that don't want anything to do with the law. See? So, what happens to those people? What happens to those stumbling blocks? What happens to those who revile God's law and reject it and rebel against it? They will be thrown into a furnace of fire, and in that place there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth, right? What does it mean, a weeping and a gnashing of teeth? Pain and eternal torment. And so they're going to be grinding their teeth together in pain, right? Yeah. And so. Um, especially in the book of Matthew, Jesus uses that that exact term as uh, as a description of the eternal torment that is coming to those who reject Him. He said they will be cast into the what? Outer darkness. What is the outer darkness? Away from God's light. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? So, the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. So what Jesus is doing is, he's going back to the Old Testament. So I want you to turn with me there really quick. Let's look at Daniel chapter 12. It's the last chapter in the book of Daniel. And we won't have time to go into the background of the story of Daniel, but Daniel was a righteous man, and Daniel was looking for for uh, answers to uh, things. And so God uh, spoke to Daniel and gave him these words uh, to share with us. And so in the book of Daniel, Lord, you got a, another Bible over there? Okay, you need one? Oh, you good? Okay. So you got it memorized, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Daniel chapter 12, and let's look at that together. It says this, the time of the end. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, will, will arise. And there will be a distress such as never has occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people everywhere who is found written in the book will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life. But others will wake to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. All right? And so those that have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like stars forever and ever. So if you go back in verse 43 of Matthew, back to the Matthew passage, Jesus was just referring to that Daniel passage. Look what it says again. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he who has ears... Let him hear. So what is Jesus doing? 
he's saying that Daniel was spot on when he was talking about the end of the age to the judgment day. What's going to happen? Many that are asleep are going to rise up and the the wicked are going to go to eternal judgment and condemnation and that the righteous would shine forth in eternal light. And so when Jesus says the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, what is He saying? He's saying when the angels go out and they they gather up all of the seed of the serpent, when they gather up all of the wicked ones, and when they throw them into that eternal torment, into that eternal hell, then the righteous will shine forth and be brightness forever and ever. Right? They will express the light of their God and their Creator, their Father. And so it's a beautiful story of what God has planned for those who are a part of His kingdom. So next we'll look. we got uh, a couple more uh, short parables here to look at. In verse 44, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now this is a weird one to me. This is a hard one for me to figure out. Uh, because it says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. All right. So what does that mean? It means that apparently that the kingdom is hidden. It's not something that's just out there for everybody to see. Hidden from most people. What chapter was yeah. it? Uh, Matthew 13 and 44. 13, 44. It said, and a man found it. He hides it again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. So, he's found this treasure in this field. And what does he do? He sells everything that he has and he goes and buys that field. Why does he buy that field? Because that's where the treasure is. That's where he found his treasure. And so what is it saying? Um, that he doesn't want to steal it from the person who owns it because it was on his land? It could be. It could be. But what he's, what he's reminding us of here is, is what has this person done? They have gotten rid of everything else that mattered to All them. All the baggage. All the baggage and all of their their personal uh, possessions, all of the things that really matter to them, they've dumped all of those for what really matters. Yeah, his old way of life. Yeah, they've dumped all of those for what really matters. And it shows that what was in the field was worth way more Good. than what he had. Good, very much so. All right, so very simple little parable. Um, I'm sure there's more to it. Uh, uh, I would hope that you would take some time to focus on it. But it says the kingdom is heaven like a treasure in the field. So what is the treasure? The treasure is Jesus. We need to always understand that. The Bible always points us to the promise and who he is, and that's Jesus. So what did the man find? He found Jesus. And over joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. My study Bible doesn't have too many notes on this particular one. All right, let's get Lori's study notes. These two parables have identical meanings, both picture salvation as something hidden from most people, but so valuable that people who have it revealed to them are willing to give up all they have to possess it. But like you said, there's a little, there's more to it than that. Him buying the field. Right. It shows that, it shows that it's important. It's, it's a sacrifice. When you purchase something, you're making a sacrifice. You're giving up something that's important to you for something that's there. more important. And so he's... Uh, he, he finds it, there's joy, he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. So, what would, the, what would this new field be? The new field, to me, I see the new field as being the kingdom of God. And what's the treasure that's hidden in that field? Jesus himself. And so what does he sell? He sells everything from this temporary kingdom that he has, okay. and he buys that eternal kingdom. That's, 
in a sense that all of these are kingdom parables. That's what I, that's what I would grasp from it. Um, and so uh, next it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. Right. So a pearl is something that is what? Uh, this basically means exactly what the last one is. In a sense, yes, very much so. It is. But what is a what is a pearl? What is a treasure? In this sense, this pearl, this pearl of great price, um, this pearl of great value, is something that is rare. And beautiful. What gives it its value? Good. It's rare. It's it's not. It's, it's unique. It's not ordinary. It's not ordinary. And so what does the man do? He gives up all of his other pursuits and he focuses on this one pearl of great price. What is the pearl of great price? Jesus is that pearl of great price. Uh, what is the marketplace? Uh, the, the world around us. And, 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 and digging and searching. And he's searching and digging for it and he finds it. He finds this pearl. And it says he went and sold all that he had and he bought it. So, in both of these stories, something was hidden, something is found, and then everything is forsaken. And honestly gained, I would add. Okay, I, I can go with that. He didn't, yeah. he didn't steal the pearl, the other guy right. didn't steal the treasure. So, so, what is the price of the kingdom? What is the price? All that you've got. Everything that you have. And not only that, uh, it's more than that because the price is the blood of Jesus. Like, it's... Right. You know what I mean? Like we really don't have anything that we could ever afford that pearl or that field or that uh, treasure. So both these guys got something worth way more than they paid for. Good, very, very much so, and that's exactly how it works with us. So you can understand now. We've seen several uh, parables about trees and plants and money and treasures. These are all things that we can all relate to, and that's why Jesus uses these parables because it helps us to understand. Now. In the same sense that it helps us to understand, it also can be condemning of those who reject it, isn't it? Why? Because on the last day, their eyes will see what they really rejected, and they'll recognize, oh, it was right there in front of my face the whole time, and I never saw it. It's so simple and so profound. The ability to see it and the ability to achieve it and the ability to understand it is a gift from Christ. Very much so. Very much so. All right, so let's finish up with this last parable, and then we'll close the class out. All right, it says, a dragnet. When I hear that, I think bum, 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 bum. Not Jagwell. <laughs> not Jagwell. That's not what it's talking about, all right? But in, in, in that sense, what is a dragnet? A police dragnet is a group of. Uh, right? Uh, a group of police that go out and sweep a neighborhood. That could be a dragnet, right? You go out and you gather up all the crooks in the neighborhood. Uh, so it says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. Now, does anybody in here see why Jesus might use this parable? Why? What would be a reason for Jesus using a net and fish? Well, I was thinking of every kind because... Okay. Well, he's also dealing with people who are familiar with Very good. He's, he's in Capernaum. He's in, in his hometown. Uh, and he's up there around the Sea of uh, Galilee, Lake Gennesaret. And what do all the people up there do for a living? They're all fishermen. They're all, they're all people that work on that. Remember his disciples. When he called um, his disciples to come and follow him, what were they doing? They were taking care of their nets. Like, and so and this they were to become fishers sure, of men. Sure, become fishers of men. And so now Jesus is you in this parable because it would definitely ring clear with everybody around there. They would understand See, it. See, I've paid more attention to the fish of every kind. Okay. Now, and when it was filled, uh, or they threw the net, 
and they gathered fish of every kind. Have anybody in here ever Gentiles, cast? Gentiles, Jews, Samaritans. Sure. So it was it was everybody. We're we're all equal okay. under, under Christ, and it didn't have to be from Israel. We didn't have to be a Jew to receive the love of Christ. Okay, but when it says gathering fish of every kind, how many of you in here have ever thrown a cast net? Right. What do you catch in a cast net? Crabs. Whatever. Everything. Tennis shoes, hubcaps, stumps. Right. There's all kind of stuff you catch with. Now, hopefully, you catch a few. You know, a flounder or, or some shrimp. Right. You catch good stuff. But so we all understand that. It's just well, when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and they gathered the good fish into a container, but uh, the bad fish they threw away. What did they do with the bad fish? They threw them away. I always think about the seagulls out there catching. They all happy with the stuff you throw away. When I go to my dock and throw the cast net out and I catch fish, the seagulls always come and hang around. And they're very happy when I throw one up on the dock for them. They go over there and they get it. It's easy for them, you see. Uh, and so it said, so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. All right, so... What he's saying is, is that this net goes out and it draws people in. Um, That word draw is a very important word. It's the same word that he uses in John chapter 6 when he said, and all that the Father gives me, I will draw them unto myself. And so it's a picture of God's loving arms reaching out into this world and drawing into himself those that are his. and, And not only that, think about this, Lori, in your life. Think about this, God, in your life. When God began to first call you, did you come willingly? No. No, you were just like one of the fish in the net, kicking and squawking. You wanted to get back in the water. Right. Like, I don't like this, right? Right. And so, uh, oftentimes, God does have to draw us. It's, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a physical and a spiritual uh, uh, effort on His part to bring he us into the kingdom. Away, though, yeah, and there you go. So, He says, um, it will be, so it'll be this way at the end of the day. So what's he saying? The gospel goes out to all the world and God is calling all kinds of people unto himself, right? But unfortunately, sometimes you get some jellyfish in there, right? <laughs> some crabs. Some, crab, some old empty oyster shells, a couple of beer cans, right? You get all kinds of stuff in there, you see? And so not everything that is drawn in is good. And so what's it saying? At the end of the age, the angels are going to come through and they're going to sort it out. And so that kind of goes back to that first parable we did today, doesn't it? That there's there that there's tares and wheat. Now, um, for some of you in this room and some of the denominations around, a lot of people think that uh, the tares and the wheat are in the church. That there are those in the church that are false, that are that are not real, that are causing people to be to stumble and to teach people lawlessness. Now that is true. That that is very true. But the reality is the true spiritual church of God, there's no tares in the true spiritual church of God. Those who have been regenerated, those who have been born again, there's no tares there. You are a child of God. But now in the world, the visible world around you, when you gather on a Sunday at your local church, not everybody in your church is of the body of Christ. You see? In the same way that not everybody at your workplace is in the body of Christ, and I can guarantee you that's the case. Right, and so we live. We live in a world. We live in a world where not everybody is sincere and genuine. We live in a world where not everybody is sincere. We live in a world. We worship in churches where not everybody there is sincere, 
And we need to understand that. But remember what Jesus said in the first parable. He said, should we go out there and pull up all the tares? And what did Jesus say? No, because if you do that, you'll damage the good, good seed too. Just let it all grow up together. And at the end, what's going to happen? What's the old sticker on the back of the people's car? Let God sort them out, right? Let God sort them out. And that's what the angels are going to do. So that's what he's talking about there on the beach. He said they were filled. They drew it up on the beach. They sat down and gathered the good fish into the container, but they, the bad they threw away. Now, where are they pulling these fish out of? They're pulling them out of the sea, out of the ocean, right? And in the Bible, what is, uh, what is the ocean or the sea always a picture of? Remember, in the beginning, uh, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was void and went out for him, and the darkness hovered over the, the face of the deep. Right, and Jesus was in the uh, boat on the sea, and he spoke, and it became calm. So a lot of times, the sea is figuratively spoken of as the world. Remember the book of Revelation, how the dragon comes out of the sea, right? And so that sea is a picture of the world. And so what is God's gospel message doing? It's being cast like a net into the world, and it's dragging folks out of it. You see. And then when they get up on the beach, then what do the angels do? They sort uh, the, the good uh, fish from the bad fish. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the second time. Now remember... Um, people think about Jesus and say God is love and that Jesus is uh, love and that he cares about everybody. It is true, very true. But God is also a just God and Jesus is just. And what he's saying is that at the end of time that justice will be served and that those who rejected Christ and his salvation, those who rejected the work of Christ on the cross, those who are standing in their own righteousness will experience an eternal torment in hell. Like Jesus preaches about hell more than anybody else in the Bible. So yes, He is loving, but He is God. And yes, He is uh, caring and compassionate and full of grace. But for those who reject His grace, for those who try to do it on their own, He's promising them that they will spend eternity in hell. And it's not something we should make light of. And it's not something uh, that, that should make us happy to tell people. I mean, think about the, the ramifications of an eternal hell. It bre- it breaks my heart to think I I have family uh, that I mean, just that that, that I have that we have put in in graves that we have put in the ground, and as they were lowering that casket down, I knew without a doubt in my heart that they were in hell, I know. and they're still there today. My brother, and they're going to burn there forever, and it's horrible to think about, but and I often wonder, you know, because we go to heaven, it's glorious, it's wonderful. And you find peace and there's no crime. But we know that our relatives are suffering. How is it that... I but, mean, how do you achieve That's a great question. That's a great question. Because... You know they're there. Because remember what Jesus said... Remember what Jesus said when they came to him. He was in a house. He was in a synagogue teaching, and it was very crowded in there. And some of his disciples came in and said, Jesus, your mother and your brother are outside. They want you to come with them. They're looking for you. They want you to come with them. And what did Jesus say? He said, this is my mother and my brothers. Those who hear and do the will of my father, that is my mother and my brothers and sisters. So what was Jesus saying? That the, the, even the dearest relationships that you have here on earth, 
I guess my mom would probably be one of my dearest relationships. I don't think I could think of one. I hadn't been married, so I can't think of one that would be more special and endearing than my love for my mom. But the reality is, is that 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 relationship is a temporary relationship. It's only going to last for as long as she's alive. We, we, we get resurrection bodies. I think we get resurrection families too. Yeah, yeah, I, no doubt. Some, so some of our family will be there. Right. Some of our families are the reason that we believers. Weren't our brothers and sisters in this life become our and become our parents oh, and all that? Good. It's, it's, a, it's a new family, just like exactly. And that that's exactly right. And that was the point I was making when Jesus said, "This is my mother and my brother. This is my family." I have an eternal family that's way bigger than what you're seeing with your eyes. And it's those who hear my words and follow and do and obediently follow me. You see? And so Jesus was making sure that we understand that there is a there's an eternal family and an eternal relationship that's going to go far beyond all this. Um <clears throat> matter of fact, I don't know if my mom she may listen to this message today, she usually does, but um today is the nineteenth of January, it's Martin Luther King's birthday. Um, but it's also my dad's birthday, my my stepfather's birthday, and he he died. He died about seven years ago now, and uh, my mom, you know, she my sisters they get all gushy every year at this day, and they always put up a bunch of pictures of him. And my mom said, "Oh, I love him with all my heart," and, and it's true. But the reality is, he he he's a born again believer, and when she gets to heaven one day and sees him, he's going to be her brother, not her husband. Like there's not that relationship that is not going to be there anymore. That needs to be explained. That that marriage is a institute that God gave us while we were here on earth because man was not meant to be alone but when we get to heaven we're going to be with our heavenly father and we're going to be with our eternal family and we won't have any loneliness anymore and so any earthly family relationships that we have here on earth are going to be superseded by our eternal family and the, the eternal peace and happiness that, that we're going to have in the kingdom we'll fully so, right and not only that so so think about uh, a story about a joseph I, I was just teaching my little boys last night at the uh, coast harbor about joseph and his brothers and he finally introduced himself to his brothers and he said do not be angry at yourself for god is the one who sent me here Right, And what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So when we get on the other side of eternity and look back on this life, we're going to see that God is good. And that everything happened according to His plan and according to His purpose. And nobody that's in hell is burning there because they don't deserve to be there. And our focus won't be on those burning in hell. Our focus will be burned on the grace that allowed us to come and be a part of His eternal kingdom. That nobody in heaven deserves to be there, and and so uh, again, I think uh, when it, I mean that's the ultimate of what uh, you meant for evil, God meant for good. Like we're going to be able to look back and see how God's eternal plan worked out, and there won't be any tears anymore. There's not going to be any sadness. There's not going to be any regret and loneliness, and that's something that's so ingrained in our nature that we can't grasp that now. It's like that that sorrow and that sadness for our lost loved ones is something that is it's ingrained in us. Like it's a part of the curse. What does Paul say? That the whole world around us travails in pain and sorrow. Like it's a part of our fallenness and a part of, of our experience of the curse. But once God removes that curse from off of us and gives us our new bodies and gives us our eternal home, the things of the past will be the things of the past, and we won't we won't rue or or, or regret or or have sorrow at all. So we can't imagine losing that sorrow. 
when we grieve over the loss of somebody, we can't imagine that going away. Because it's in us. It's who right, we are. Right. It's a part of who and we so are. And so we think, you mean one day it'll be okay that my my son died when he was a little boy? You know, that kind of thing. So you mean that's going to be okay? Yes, it'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, and we can't grasp that. Because we're, we're so entrenched in the curse. And, and it's so a part of what who we are that we can't understand right, our, res- our resurrected bodies, souls, and, and minds are going to be Good. way more in, in tune. All right, so let's, let's wind now because we've got to close. It says, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take the wicked out from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace. In that place there will be a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understand these? Have you understood these things? And they said to him, "Yes." Now, <laughs> that's so. That's, oh, yeah. that's a trick question because they always say that we understand it, and then immediately right after that they'll say something else that shows they didn't grasp any of what right. he was saying. You know, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I, matter of fact, last night I was teaching my teenage boys, and we were we we're going through the book of Mark, and Jesus told his disciples. Uh, uh, Peter said. Peter said, he said, who do they, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Peter, son of Barjona, because not flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father is the one that gave you that insight to see that, right? And so this great moment in Peter's life, he's grasped the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. And in the very next verse, Jesus said, and now I'm going to die. And Peter pulls him to the side and goes, no, have you lost your mind? You're our Messiah. You're not going to die. You see, and, and so what did Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan, for you not you you desire the things of this world and not of, of of my kingdom. And so, in one moment, Peter is recognizing he knew it, he understood it, he grasped it. Yeah, I got it. And then the very next minute, he's like, No, I don't don't got it. And that's can't we all relate to that? How many times have I thought I saw something in Scripture I understood, and then five years later I read it again and go, Oh my goodness, what a mess! Why did I say that? Why did why did I think that? You see? And so, uh, again, uh, these parables are a way to help us to understand the kingdom. And so I pray that these classes, these groups that we've had on the parables uh, will help you. Next week when we get back together, um, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible, we're going to see, we're going to look at Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5. We're going to see Jesus calm a storm. We're going to see Jesus um, cast some demons into some pigs. We're going to see Jesus heal a woman with an issue of blood, and we're going to see Jesus raise a baby, a, a girl from the dead. And one of my favorite passages would be Mark chapter 4 and 5. If you want to read, cheat, read ahead. And yes, today's the 19th, so it'll be the 26th, and I will be with y'all next week. So let's close with a word of prayer. Before we do that, could I mention something? Yeah. I get a lot of comfort in hearing these stories, especially with you, with you teaching them, about the weeds, the, the, the tares and the wheat, and the fish, and sorting it out to know that I'm surrounded by all this corruption. Of course, a lot of it is in me. But I don't need to worry at the end that God will pull me out of all that. It's not up to me to be in that sheaf of wheat instead of getting tangled up with the tares and being thrown in the fire or being one of those fish that gets tossed aside because the angels are going to take care of that and I don't need to worry about it. Amen. And and, uh, I think for me... One of the things that I get caught up in is trying to go around and pick out the bad people. Like, and that's bad. Because what I'm doing is I'm declaring I know the thoughts and and intentions of another's heart. And there, and I I do, I do know this. I do know that if you looked at my life 25 years ago, you would have definitely said that I was weeds, that I was a worthless, I was worthless, and and I would not want somebody judging me and who I am based on my past life. 
And so, um, I, for me personally, especially in a church setting, um, we get people coming to our churches all of the time, and it's very sad when we start trying to discern the thoughts and intents of people's hearts. Now, if they're, if they're obviously in doing something wrong, I mean, there's nothing in the world wrong with recognizing that and saying that's wrong what they're doing. But for me to go around and start saying tear wheat, tear wheat, good fish, bad fish, good fish, bad fish. into the church, they may look like they're <clears throat> bad intentions, but the, the guts that it takes to walk through those church doors when you're in a bad position, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't take them at face value. I would think but, that they're yep. here for a reason. All right. That's why the man whose field it was says, wait until they grow. Because you can't tell the wheat from the t- from the tears when they're the seed. Yeah, the seed look alike. Yeah, they look alike. All right. Thank you, guys. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this chance to study um, about your kingdom, and we pray that your kingdom will come and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that you will help us to all recognize what a privilege it is to be a part of that kingdom and give us the ability and the willingness to go out and be salt and a light in a world that desperately needs you. So thank you again for this time together. Watch over the guys. Help them to make good, smart, wise decisions in their lives. And uh, we'll make sure or we'll try our best, Lord, to give you the, the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.